Alright, we're going we're gonna to continue our Advent series in Gideon. Most traditional Advent series ever. So, we've got a <laughs> repeated joke. He's recycling it every week. <laughs> right? Token laugh. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Alright, we're, we're going to jump into quite a bit of text here uh, throughout the passage, or throughout our time today. Um, but one thing that stuck, one verse that stuck out to me as I was working through this was actually from Psalms. So I'm going to start with Psalms 139.5 and, uh, and then pray for our time and the word. So uh, if you would hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 139, verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful um, for your unfailing character, your faithfulness, your goodness, and your mercy upon us. And God, we, we pray that as we look at the life of Gideon and what you called him to do, um, that we will be challenged in our hearts to follow in like manner, to have faith in you as he did. Um, God, challenge our hearts this morning to commune with you, to trust you, and to worship you with our lives. God, we want to be a, a complete offering to you. We want praise to be ever on our lips, God. Um, when difficulties come, or when questions arise, God, we want praise to be our first response to everything. You've done all things with purpose and for the good of those you love. And so, God, we receive all that you give with praise. We glorify you, for you will be honored in everything. And praise you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we're starting in Gideon, uh, chapter 6, verses 36 to 40. Uh, we're going to go through kind of three, uh, three pieces of Gideon's story right here, uh, all related to him fighting Midian. So we're going to start, what's that? Oh, Judges, Judges. Judges 6, Judges 6, about Gideon, yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's in the Apocrypha, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. Uh, Judges 6, 36 to 38 is where we'll start out. Um, there's going to be three kind of phases of this. Uh, first, dealing with Gideon's fleece. You might know the story of Gideon's fleece. And then we'll be talking about Gideon's army, or rather the Lord's army. Um, and then finally, the battle that they go forth and fight against Midian, which, uh, which is uh, tremendous. So, so three major events we're going to run through very quickly throughout this time uh, as we look at Judges 6 through 7. Uh, so it starts out this way, Judges 6, 36 to 38 says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so, when he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Gideon here comes before the Lord with something the Lord has told him to do, right? He's already told him that I'm going to give the hand of Midian, into, I'm going to give, you, give Midian into your hands. He's told him that, that he has been called, mighty man of valor, you've been called to save your people Israel from the hand of Midian. Um, but here before this happens, uh, the Midianites have camped, you know, nearby, they've come into the land, they've crossed over the Jordan, they're nearby uh, where Gideon and the people of Israel are, and so they're kind of lining up against each other, 
And as we're going to find out later, this camp of Midianites is, I, I don't know, at my estimate, which is nothing real, less like speculative based on the circumstances of the, of the text, but it seems to me that there's probably 100,000 soldiers. That's my guess, okay? Um, they're like locusts in the ground. We don't get a number, okay? There's like a, a of a, a, a swarm of locusts is how they're described. And the camels that they have bring with them are described as innumerable as the sand. So they're looking down at a valley that is absolutely full of people and animals ready for war against Israel. Okay? And so Gideon, okay, he has been told by the Lord he's going to be the one that delivers the people of Israel against this group. And uh, the commentator I'm working through is, is actually throughout this passage saying, man, Gideon's doubting God. Man, Gideon must be doubting God by doing this fleece. Gideon must be doubting God by asking to go down into the camp and see what's going on. Gideon must be doubting God when he sees that his army is too big. And I want to challenge that interpretation and and say to you that I think Gideon is literally trying to commune with God and converse with him. And I want to make sure we uh, don't look back at judges and like judge the judges from our 4,000 years apart uh, framework. Let's look at this person who has been called by God and has has set up his army, called his people to arms, and now is looking at this group of people against him that may be three times their size at least, and going, God, I know we had this interaction. Like, are you sure? I mean, have any of you? (laughs) Yeah, right. You have, right? You've been with the Lord when he said, hey, go do such and such. And you get to the point, you're like, ah, not sure. What are we doing, Lord? This seems a little difficult. Did God just like rain down judgment on you? He didn't. He lovingly spoke to you, had a conversation with you. And so I want to challenge this idea that this fleece episode is some sort of doubt in Gideon's mind, but rather a form of prayer that he's trying to communicate with God and going like, all right, Lord, like, I don't know. This is, seems like a pretty big deal. Uh, another misapplication that we see with Gideon is that we think of Gideon as an individual application. As I'm going to take Gideon's process and I'm going to apply it to my life as one individual. Let's like step back and think of the significance of what Gideon has been asked to do. He has been asked to defeat the Midianites who have been oppressing the people for seven years with an insufficient army. Okay, The, the scale of what Gideon is being asked to do is Pretty big, you know? I haven't done, I don't think I've been called to do anything like this, and I don't think any of us have done anything like this where we come up against this kind of enemy. And so I just want to be careful that we look back at, at, at Gideon and go, like, maybe he's trying to talk to the Lord. And there's a couple reasons why I say that. First of all, God never judges him for doing this. There's no word in this text that's like, and Gideon was doubting, and the Lord was mad about his doubt. No, God actually answers his prayer. God actually does what he asked to be done, okay? And why does God respond that way? He responds that way because he hears Gideon's heart, okay? When we look for signs out of the incorrect heart, the Lord knows that, okay? And he's not going to give us the sign we asked for because we're in the wrong heart. But Gideon's heart is right. He's looking for the Lord's confirmation of what is going on. He's looking for the Lord to come alongside him, give him some sort of peace, some sort of understanding that this is what is going to happen. Gideon himself even names the Lord, the Lord of peace, earlier in in our story with Gideon. So Gideon puts out this fleece, and 
the Lord, sure enough, he, he puts enough dew on the fleece that he, when he wrings it out, he fills a bowl full of water. Gideon then, uh, recognizing that like maybe he's out of step, maybe he's like pressing on the Lord too much, maybe he understands the Lord's power and is quaking at his majesty, okay, says, let not your anger burn against me, but let me just speak once more. Please let me test once more with the fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. Again, the Lord does not judge this. He actually comes through and says, sure, no problem. I know what I've asked you to do. I know where your heart's at in this. I know you just met me, frankly, like maybe a couple weeks ago. Okay, So let's give him a little bit of grace and recognize that God is giving him compassion and grace and, uh, and actually responds to his request and confirms uh, what he's called Gideon to do. If there's any lack of faith in Gideon, it's not judged by this test, but God rather understandingly shows compassion to Gideon who has a, a fearful heart, like a reverent heart before the Lord. Uh, Psalm 103, 13 to 14 says this of God, uh, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let me challenge us as we look back at Gideon, as we look at our circumstance, that God knows you are dust, okay? And he is compassionate to come down to your level and to speak to you right where you are that you might understand individually, perfectly, what he is trying to tell you to do, giving you comfort and peace about the next step to take. Gideon is having a prayerful communication with the Lord, and the only way he knows how is to say, God, can you put some dew on this fleece, and then can you take it and put the dew around it? And It's just like he's just trying to talk to this person that he just met. And the Father has compassion on him because he knows Gideon is weak. He knows he is just a man. He knows he is dust, and he shows his compassion to Gideon who fears the Lord. So, Kind of abruptly, this event happens, and Gideon's call is confirmed by the Lord. They're looking down at this, this group of uh, soldiers and going, okay, this is what we're to do. There's thousands of soldiers, but the Lord has confirmed it, so let's get ready, right? And so we get another episode, and it's kind of interesting that there's like, Gideon gives two tests to start, and then the Lord kind of gives two army reductions that we're going to see <laughs> uh, in response, kind of like showing some, some sort of symmetry there or something, but... Um, what we have here in verse 1 says this, Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with me, or sorry, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. It's like you did read that right, okay? The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. The Lord is looking at the army of Israel and saying, I know you guys think you're mismatched already, but you actually have too many people to do what I've called you to do. And so he tells Gideon this, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of my people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. 
and 22,000 of the 32,000 left and only 10,000 remained. Okay, so if two-thirds of a 30,000-man army are so afraid of what they are seeing that they leave, what does that tell you about the army they're facing, right? It is much bigger than 30,000. They're looking at their army going like, there's no way 30,000 has a chance. We're afraid 22,000 leave. This is why I say, man, if it's a valley full of people, I'm guessing 100,000. Maybe more. We don't know. It's a valley, you know. So just imagine the biggest, you know, imagine every SEC football stadium and go, that's 100,000 people filled up. That's like how many soldiers we're looking at. Lots. So many, okay. So this happens, 10,000 remain. Then the Lord says to Gideon, the people are still too many for me. Take them down to the water, and I'll test them there for you. And, anyone of, and of, of anyone whom, you, whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, and, and shall, uh, this one shall, shall go with you. And any of whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt to drink the water. Um, it's a bit confusing, the language here, but basically you have two scenarios. You've got a group of people that's getting on their hands and knees to drink the water out of the lake, like, immediately, okay? And then you've got a group of people that's kneeling by the lake and cupping their water and bringing it to their mouths and, and drinking it that way, okay? Um, we don't know why this is what the Lord chose. Maybe it's about their readiness for battle. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's totally arbitrary. Doesn't really matter, okay? The point is that 9,700 people got down on their knees and started lapping like a dog from the lake. 300 men used their hands to cup water and bring it up to their mouth to drink. And so Gideon's watching them, right, and going, okay, that's a pretty big despair. We must be taking the 9,700, right? Like, we're surely taking 9,700 and not these 300 crazies that are drinking with their hands, right? It's definitely not them, right? Surely the 90... No. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, that is, bringing the water to their hands, uh, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of the Israelites, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. The Lord looks at this army and says, yeah, you've got, you've got too much to accomplish what I've called you to accomplish. So I'm going to need to reduce it. I'm actually going to take it down to like 1% of what you have. And then you'll be ready. <laughs> I mean, are you thinking that way about what the Lord's told you to do? Man, Lord, if you could just remove some more stuff from me, that'd be great, because then I know it's your hand. Is that how you pray to the Lord? Lord, I've got too much provision right now. I kind of feel like I did this thing, right? And so if you could just reduce my, you know, my have, what I have, my savings, you know, take my savings down to 1% of what I have. Then I know that you will work on my behalf, Right? The Lord, again, graciously knows that this has affected Gideon in some way. Uh, and in verse 9, it says, The same night the Lord said to Gideon, Arise, 
Go down to the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went, to, went down with, his, with, with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And again, I want to say, like most of the commentators I read on this say, see, he's doubting the Lord. <laughs> Going like, like, maybe the Lord's having compassion on him. Let's look at that angle instead of like, Gideon's a big doubter. Maybe the Lord's like, hey, I want to assure you of what I'm doing. Let's look at that side of the angle. Um, it goes down with Purim. And the Midianites and Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And as soon as Midian heard this, the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. I love this picture for a, a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, I don't haven't found this specific connection exactly, but like the fact that he sends a barley bread down the hill, we were talking about this some on uh, Wednesday, that like, you know, the first introduction we have to Gideon is that he's treading out the grain in a wine press. He's like literally preparing bread, right? He's preparing flour for bread. And the symbol of Gideon coming down into the camp is, is a barley bread coming down and crushing the tent of Midian. Um, and I also love that uh, as soon as this happens, Gideon goes down, right, and he hears this dream from the edge of camp. And what does he do? He stops right there and he worships. He worships God. He knows, at that moment, he knows that what the Lord said is true. He has confirmed it by the fleece. He has confirmed it in the reduction of the army. He's confirmed it in the dream the Lord has showed up to Gideon and said, I am going to do this thing, and it's going to be marvelous in the Lord's sight. And so he stands in worship as soon as he hears the interpretation and telling of this dream. So Gideon does, you know, what any general would do when he has 300 men, you know. Um, he assembles the 300 men against the 100,000, whatever amount of soldiers it is, um, and takes them to the outskirts. He comes to them at the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. It says in verse uh, 19, chapter 7, verse 19, when they had just set the watch. Uh, whoops. Let's get it. Oh, I skipped some verses. <laughs> I don't have verses 16 to 18. Can I grab a Bible from someone? Can you get a Bible from someone? Thank you. I forgot to put these on the screen. Uh, judges. Anybody know where Judges is? Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. It was a joke. All right. 
16. Okay, so he does what any general would, you would think would do, right? He divides the 300 men into three companies and puts trumpets into their hands and empty jars with torches inside. Like exa exactly what you would expect a general to do when he's ready to go to war. Get some torches and some trumpets. All of you. Not like a few of you. All 300 in one hand a torch and in one hand a trumpet. Where's their sword? <laughs> How are they going to... Okay. Um, they don't have swords. That's what we're saying. Okay. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon assembles his army, says, okay, this is what we're going to do. I just worship the Lord. I just heard a dream about their fear of me. And so our plan is to get some torches and some trumpets. And we're going to go circle them, and then we're going to blow them. And, and then we're going to win. Like, what, what do you think the other 300 men are thinking? Are you thinking like, yeah, this is definitely going to work? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Victory is secured. Gideon, we trust you. Um, I, I think maybe so, but anyways. Um, so verse 19, Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp and at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had, just as they had set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches, and in their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. I think Gideon is using his own name here because he heard the dream. I don't think it's out of his like pride and like thinking, I am the one doing this, okay? Uh, Gideon knows, he's heard a dream that Gideon was going to come against the camp. This is literally just an announcement that in fact the dream has been fulfilled and Gideon is coming with his army against the camp. So lest we go like, Gideon is putting himself beside the Lord here. It's like, no, no, no. It is for the Lord and for Gideon to confirm your dream that Gideon is the one who's coming with his army. Verse 21, what happens is every man in his place around the camp, uh, verse 20, uh, yeah, yeah. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300, tw 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah, toward Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel Me'oloah, sounds Hawaiian, Me'oloah, by Tabith. And the, men of, and the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers through all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also to the Jordan. They captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Gideon takes his 300 men, 
with trumpet and torch and worships the Lord around this army. And the army turns on itself and destroys itself and runs away. What in the world do we do with this? <laughs> How do we take this story of Gideon, his fighting against the Midian, Midianites, and bring it forward to our lives and go, how does this apply to 2023, you know, here in Clearwater, Florida? And how does this apply to Advent and Jesus and what he did and accomplished? And I've got a, three things that I want to challenge us with uh, from this story uh, as we apply it to our lives. First is this. Are we in conversation with ourselves or with the Lord? God has given us a, like a treasure of a privilege in Christ. Um, Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16 that we can come boldly before the throne of God without doubting. Come boldly to him and ask for God's help in our time of need. Like, look at, you know, so often we look at our sin and our brokenness and go, like, I can't come before Almighty God. And I'm saying to you, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus and his blood has covered your sin, you can go boldly before the throne. He has made you righteous. And so you can come and pray to the Lord. And so my challenge to us is are our conversations that we're having in our head every single day, we, we talk to ourselves more than we talk to anybody else, okay? Are we talking to ourselves with the Lord in those conversations, or are we just talking to ourselves? The conversations you're having in, in your head every day, are, are you taking them to the Lord, or are you just letting your thoughts kind of rattle around and trying to think things through yourself? Because Gideon was a person who went to the Lord. He said, God, like, you brought me here. Um, you sure this is... This is it, right? This is when it happens? Like I'm, not like, I'm not like out of step here in the timing of things. Should I like go hide or should we fight? Gideon is in communion with the Lord. He's having conversation with the God of heaven. And so my question to us is, are, are we having conversation with the Lord? Are, are we prioritizing communication with our Father in heaven? Or are we just stopping at our brain, right, and just thinking through things like this makes sense, this makes sense, so I'm going to do this. A plus B equals C. That's how I'm going to figure things out. Or am I going, Lord, A plus D does not equal Z. Please make it work. What am I missing, right? Are you going to the Lord saying the equation is not right? Both sides don't match. Because I'm telling you, if the Lord has called you to something, it probably doesn't quite match up in your head. And so are you going to the Father with that and saying, God, I need you, I need you to make sense of what doesn't make sense to me. Gideon was this way. He went to the Father and said, okay, uh, I need some help. <laughs> I've got these men, but that army is huge, huge. <laughs> how can you say huge anymore without that, right? Like, how? It's, it's ruined forever. <laughs> it's enormous. It's an enormous army. <sighs> he goes to the Lord for wisdom in this moment because it doesn't add up in his head. 
And Jesus was this way. Jesus was in perfect communion with his Father throughout. I mean, think about that. God, as he came in flesh to live among us, was in constant conversation with his Father in heaven. He didn't, like, know what it is and just keep doing it, right? He actually communicated with the Father through prayer on a regular basis. Jesus, in uh, John 5, 19, it says, And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. In time, as the Lord Jesus is walking through space and time, the Father is communicating to him, showing him what, is, what he is doing in that moment. And as Jesus sees what the Lord is doing, he is going and doing that in perfect obedience. Are we this way? Are we asking the Lord, yeah, this doesn't make sense in the natural, but, uh, but this is what you're telling me to do, so I'll do it. He escaped regularly to commune with God. Jesus did, that is, in Luke 5, 16. But he, would, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark 6, 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. Luke 6, 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer. If we learn something from Gideon and from Jesus, it's this. The most important spiritual rhythm you can establish in your life is prayer. It's so easy to neglect because we're like, it's so foreign to us in terms of how it works. And like, I, could, I would rather just read a book. I'd rather just read the Bible and just read the Bible. And like, I'm, okay, I'm reading scripture, so I've got knowledge of scripture. And we'd rather do that than just sit with God and let him speak. Even when we pray, we pray in, a, in an awful way a lot of times. We just go to the Lord and we're like, Lord, I need X, Y, Z and this. I need all these things. Just give him a list of things that we need him to do. Lord, this is how you're going to solve that problem, and this is how you're going to solve that problem, and this is how you're going to solve that problem. Go. And God's going, could you maybe hang out for a minute and, and let me speak? The most important spiritual rhythm we can establish in our lives is a regular communion and prayer with the Lord. And man, I just challenge you, wherever you're at with prayer, do a little bit more. Okay, if you're not praying at all, okay, you're praying zero minutes a day. Like, there are zero minutes a day where you sit still and like wait for the Lord to speak or ask the Lord to speak or tell the Lord what you're struggling with. If there's zero minutes, just do five, okay? If there's five, maybe do ten. Stretch yourself a little bit further than where you are. Man, if you do 30, why don't you do 35? Push yourself, okay? Because the, the whole uh, goal here is to be in continuous prayer with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Anybody know that verse? Anybody know? Claire knows it? You know it? And pray without ceasing. Lisa knows it. There, she got it. Yeah, yeah. Pray without ceasing, because this is God's will for you. You want to know God's will? Continually pray. Always. <laughs> I so often mess that up, right? It's the most important spiritual rhythm we can establish. Prayer. Jesus modeled it. Gideon was trying to figure it out, right? Let's pray.
Second, are we hoping in how much we think we need, or is our trust in what the Lord has already given? Are we hoping in what we think we need, or are we trusting what the Lord has already given? Jesus looked at this army of 32,000 that was already outmatched and said, that's too many for me to show up. I'm going to reduce it by 99%. (laughs) Gideon's looking around going like, this is, okay, all right. I mean, I guess they're afraid of me, so I worship you, Lord, that with 300 men, you're going to do this thing. Look at the life of Jesus, too. Jesus was 0% concerned about the numbers of his disciples, okay? He chose 12 men to follow him. At the end of his life, after his resurrection, in the upper room, there's 120 men. Okay, like numerically, right, Jesus did not have that much impact, right? If we're we're like talking about numbers, which we shouldn't be talking about anyways, but we are right now. We're talking about numbers. Jesus ended with 120 devoted followers. The Son of God. Did he care (laughs) about the numeric impact of what he was called to do? No. He cared completely and solely about obedience to the Father. He wasn't worried about influence. He was worried about obedience to what God had called him to do. And from that group, right, a worldwide movement of people who trust in Jesus was born. I'm going to challenge you and challenge me that when the Lord has you on missions, the odds are probably not going to be in your favor. Like, that's the Lord's way. He looks at an army and says, yeah, uh, you will be too proud of what you have accomplished if you go forward on this mission with this many people. I'm going to have to like pare it back so that your heart will give glory to me when it actually comes to pass. This is the pattern of missions. Every missionary probably needs 10 times more than what they have, humanly speaking, to do all they've been called to do. They're looking at their thing, and man, if we had this, 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 and this, then we'd be set, and we could go forward in power and strength and confidence. And I'm telling you, that's not where the Lord's heart is for you. If he's got you on mission, the odds are probably that, humanly speaking, they're not in your favor. But the Lord has you on mission And so obedience will determine the victory rather than the odds that you may see. When the Lord has you on mission, obedience will determine the victory, not the odds. The Lord was concerned with Gideon's obedience. And it turns out, in the scope of Gideon's life, he was obedient. I mean, in the battle he was called to, He literally goes, let's get some torches and some trumpets and go to war. And God says, yes, that's my man. I'm putting him in the hall of faith 
Someone's going to write about this guy and say, that man had faith. Finally, do we trust that when the Lord calls us, he has already gone before us? He's already done it. When the, when the Lord calls you to something, he's already accomplished that. Because if the Lord calls you to it, then he's the one that's going to accomplish it. Not you. It's never going to be about your strength. It's always going to be about the Lord accomplishing it, right? So think about this. Say Gideon doesn't hear the dream. Does it change the circumstances? Say he just goes, I'm going to be obedient to what the Lord tells me, and the Lord's telling me I'm going to take trumpets and, and the fire, and I'm going to go circle around them and destroy. doesn't change the outcome. God went before Gideon into the camp and gave the camp dreams of destruction by the hand of Gideon. How cool is that? The battle was already fought in the minds of the, of the people, of the enemies. They were afraid of Gideon. And Gideon's going, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> Do we trust that when the Lord calls us, he has already gone before us? Um, the first proclamation of the defeat of Satan. Anybody know when that was? Any guesses? The first proclamation of Satan's defeat. Genesis 3:15. Yes. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he, that is the offspring, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. When man sinned, the judgment on Satan was his destruction. So this has happened, and you are going to be destroyed by the offspring of the woman. It will come to pass. And so we should take heart. Because Jesus knew this, okay? He knew this from the foundation of the earth, that, that victory was assured, okay? And so I want you to take heart, because you get in these moments where you're like, I don't know how it's going to be done, the Lord has told me this, and like the, all the emotions of what God has called you to do are raging inside of your heart, right? All the time. And we get anxious and fearful, we look at the circumstances, and we go, it doesn't add up, and all this, and I just want you to take heart, because the Son of God, gives us a picture, knowing from the foundation of the earth that this battle was won, we see Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus, a man who's walking in perfect obedience, clinging to the Father for comfort as he submits himself to the will of God in taking up the cross. Jesus felt what you feel when God calls you to do something, okay? He didn't just walk through it with simple ease. He felt it as a man feels it. And so you, when, when you're called and you look at this thing and you go, the odds don't match up, I, I know this is what God called me to do, um, know that if God has called you to do it, he has already gone before you to accomplish it. And it's okay if you struggle with that. 
It's okay if you're afraid. It's okay if you're anxious. But don't sit in that. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your strength. This is all on your strength and your power that this will be accomplished. Set your heart right before the Lord, just as Jesus did in the garden. Said, said, Father, I know what I need to do, and it's going to be the worst pain possible because I'm going to separate from you in this moment in some way. And so do we trust that when the Lord has called us, he has already gone before us? I read that verse earlier from Psalm 139.5, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. You're behind me, right? You know my doubts. You know I'm looking back at my life and going, how could God do this through me? The Lord is behind you. You're looking forward and going like, how do my circumstances and what God has provided add up to accomplish what is before me? Well, guess what? The Lord is before you. And man, Lord, how how can I trust that you're really going to do this? The Lord's hand is upon you. He goes before you and behind you. And his hand is upon you. Go to him in prayer. Commune with the Lord. Hope not in what you have, but what the Lord has. And trust that if he's called you to it, he is going to be the one that accomplishes it. And he'll do it in spite of what you think the odds are. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that it doesn't count on us. God, that every battle you have called us to rise up against is a battle you will fight on our behalf. And so, Lord, help us to be those who carry the fire of God's presence. And help us to be those that praise God. May praise ever be on our lips. May we we trumpet your praise in the presence of our enemies. God, I pray that for each of us here, as we look at the week ahead, that prayer will be a part of what we do this week. That we will be before you. That we would listen to you. We wouldn't give you some laundry list of cares and concerns that we have or plans that we have that we want you to fix in such and such a way, but rather we would sit with you and know your presence and know that you are peace and that you are with us. God, may we live on mission with you. Because God, when we're on mission with you, you will secure the battle. It doesn't matter what bill, uh, what disease, uh, what enemy, what anything comes against us, God. If you are for us, the victory is sure. And so God, help us to join up on your mission. And Lord, we ask you to do it your way that you would get the glory and no one else. We pray that over our marriages. We pray that over our parenting. We pray that over our jobs. 
We pray that over this church, God. That we would listen to what you have called us to do and to be. And we would follow you in your way, not ours. That you may be praised. That you may get the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.